Welcome to the Herbal Astrology Podcast with Jules Benefico and Tony Latimer. Each episode, we give an astrological forecast for the next two weeks and discuss how it relates to our physical, mental, and emotional well-being, as well as how we can use herbal alchemy to support ourselves through the upcoming astrological aspects and transits. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm an astrologer in the tropical tradition, and I write a blog called Moving On With Astrology about planetary transits and aspects in the Placidus House system. Hi, I'm Jules. I'm a clinical herbalist and transformation coach who weaves medical astrology, alchemy, and shadow work into my practice and courses, and I mentor herbalists and other healers to become empowered and confident practitioners. We met at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California in 2014, while living there as extended students working on our personal growth and soaking in the hot springs under the stars. All right, here we are at episode four already. And today we will be covering astrological transits and aspects happening between Saturday, March 11th and Friday, March 24th of 2023. I just want to relay a few show notes before getting into today's episode. I want to remind everyone that Jupiter conjunct Chiron is happening on Saturday, March 11th. And normally we would have covered that conjunction in this episode, but we did it in the last episode to lump it together with the Venus Chiron conjunction. Plus, we have a lot to cover for the next two weeks. So if you're interested in hearing more about the Jupiter Chiron conjunction that's happening on Saturday, please go back and listen to episode three. Also, on a non-astrological note, Sunday, March 12th, is spring forward, so remember to set your clocks forward by an hour. Wouldn't want anybody to miss brunch or another important appointment because they didn't set their clocks forward. I also want to say that the cleanse that I started for the Jupiter-Venus conjunction last week, per Jules' suggestion, is going well. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm on day 10 of a liver detox tea and no sugar, including no Dr. Pepper, but I haven't been drinking any celery juice and I highly recommend trying it. So see, we really do take our own suggestions on this show. Jules suggested uh, a liver detox last episode for the Jupiter Venus conjunction. One last note. Please do rate us uh, on your podcast streaming platform if you're feeling generous. It helps us out a lot with visibility on the different podcasting platforms. So please do give us a rating. Uh, It really helps. And if you would like to reach out to either Jules or I, please reach out to us at theherbalastrologypodcast at gmail.com. We can both be reached at that email address. So on to the show. There is so much going on between March 14th and the new moon on March 21st. This is a very crowded, very busy time astrologically. Within the span of 10 days, we have a ton of stuff happening in the sky. And this is also the start of an astrological new year with the spring equinox. And I at least find that it's always a very busy time of year. 
Um, so just a warning, this might turn out to be a long episode, but be sure to stick around until the end because this episode is going to be all killer, no filler. Uh, and we'll be talking about Pluto's once-in-a-lifetime move into Aquarius as our very last transit of this episode. So please do stick around till the end if you're interested about Pluto in Aquarius, which some say is the much-hyped age of Aquarius from that hair song. Okay, so the first aspect that we are covering this week will be Mars in Gemini, square Neptune in Pisces, happening on Tuesday, March 14th. Now, this is a waxing square, which is the first major aspect in a cycle that's started by a conjunction. Uh, and if you've listened to this podcast before, I talk about conjunctions a lot. They are the planting of a seed. They're the beginning of a cycle. So a waxing square is like the first major aspect to happen in a cycle after a conjunction. I just want to get into squares, like kind of the nitty gritty of what a square is before getting into this specific Mars square Neptune aspect. So... I want you to imagine a clock face and the hands of a clock. So the conjunction of an astrological cycle is when both hands are at 12. And then the opposition, which I've also talked a lot about before, which is kind of like the climax of an astrological cycle, happens when you have the minute hand at six, right? And the hour hand at 12. And then squares are when the minute hand is at three and nine. So you have a 90 degree angle between whichever planet is representing the hour hand and whichever planet is representing the minute hand. And so the faster moving planet is going to be your minute hand. And the slower moving planet is going to be your hour hand. So with this Mars-Neptune square that we're talking about, Mars is going to be the minute hand in this analogy, and Neptune is going to be the hour hand. So Neptune's at 12, Mars is at 3 on the clock face, creates this square, the 90-degree angle. Diving in to this Mars in Gemini square Neptune in Pisces, this square is the first square in a cycle that was started when Mars was conjunct Neptune in Pisces all the way back on May 18th, 2022. So that's when both of the hands were at 12, right? So Mars is now at three o'clock on the clock face. It's setting the pace for this cycle. It is ahead of Neptune. It's moving away from Neptune on the chart, and it's currently 90 degrees away to form this square. And because this is the first square in this Mars-Neptune cycle following their conjunction last year, it is a waxing square. So think about a moon cycle. You have a conjunction at the new moon between the sun and the moon. And then the first quarter moon is a waxing quarter. It's a waxing square. So that's what we have here. Mars is forming a waxing square with Neptune. Now, to me, a square always represents a challenge. 
And if Mars is involved, a Mars square always represents a conflict. Not all challenges are conflicts, but all conflicts are challenges. So not all squares are Mars squares, but all Mars squares are squares. To bring Neptune into the discussion, think about what Mars plus Neptune means together. This is motivation behind visionary creativity, motivation to seek altered states, motivation to bring your vision into reality. Uh, this is the drive behind our dreams to dream big, to bring the biggest thing that we can possibly imagine into reality. So this square, this Mars-Neptune square that's happening on March 14th is the first challenge, the first bump in the road related to whatever was started by that Mars-Neptune conjunction on May 18th of last year. It's the first bump in the road to this cycle of like bringing a vision into reality. Now, possible interpretations for what this square might mean, for what this challenge might represent would be uh, an impediment to a creative project. Or another interpretation could be a, a conflict between two people in an altered state of consciousness. Uh, and I just want to say that we should really remember to give ourselves and others grace when we're in conflict. And especially if we're having conflict with people in altered states, like having a drunken argument with someone would be the perfect manifestation of a Mars-Neptune square. And this conflict that's represented by the Mars-Neptune square can be made more challenging by the illusory nature of Neptune. Like, it doesn't feel real. Like, is this really happening? Like, did I really just tell jewels that her hair looks super greasy while we were both drunk last night getting pizza at 2 a.m after like that super fun night at the club I mean yeah like I woke up the next morning and I regretted it and I'm like did that really just happen so Neptune will add a flavor of illusion to whatever challenge or conflict you experience around this aspect around this Mars Neptune square and I have another note, but I think I've talked long enough. So Jules, take it away. <laughs> uh, pretty sure we've never gone to the club together, but maybe we should. I think it would be a, a wild adventure. Definitely a night to remember. And yeah, I'm definitely curious to hear how that liver cleanse is going a little bit more. If you want to share how you've been feeling physically over the last 10 days. Sure. So besides drinking a liver detox tea, the only thing I'm doing differently is that I've eliminated processed sugar from my diet. And the main thing I have noticed is a heightened ability to focus. Like I am much more able to focus. It's very interesting. Yeah, I guess I was kind of expecting to not have to eat as much. Um, because I thought maybe it would like have an effect on my digestion, but it hasn't. I still need to eat a lot um, like I normally do, but really it's just that heightened focus that I've noticed with the, mm. with the liver cleanse. Yeah. That's really interesting. Everyone will have, you know, different effects and things that they experience, but 
yeah, when cutting out sugar and supporting your liver, being able to focus is is definitely a positive side effect of that, that, that happens a lot. Processed foods and sugars uh, lead to a lot of health issues. And something we don't think about is how it affects our mental state. And that's a, that's a huge component of the detrimental effects of, of sugar. So I'm glad that you're reaping those benefits so far. Thank you. Yeah. And, and thank you for confirming that that's something that other people have reported. Cause I'm always curious, like, is it just me or is this like what's supposed to be happening? Oh no. Yeah. That's, that's a major thing with, with cutting out sugar. So glad you're experiencing that. So yeah, on March 14th with this Mars and Gemini square, Neptune and Pisces, we're noticing with this aspect that there could be a conflict between our desire for action and our ability to see things clearly. And so this can lead to confusion, potentially indecision, and even feelings of deception. And we may feel like we're, you know, going in circles, spinning our wheels as our energy is scattered and we're struggling to find a clear direction, something that could come up from this aspect. And so in medical astrology, Mars and Gemini square Neptune and Pisces could indicate vulnerability related to conditions of the respiratory and nervous systems, as well as difficulties with mental and emotional health. Uh, and so Mars and Gemini uh, potentially could make someone prone to more anxiety and nervous tension because Gemini really rules the nervous system and Mars can bring on that acute stress because uh, Mars is really inflammatory and kind of working in the moment for acute conditions. While Neptune and Pisces can heighten sensitivity and increase our risk of escapism or substance abuse uh, because Pisces has a tendency toward addictive behaviors potentially, or, you know, being a little bit out of this world in a way. So the feeling of wanting to escape can come up. So the square aspect between these two planets can potentially exacerbate these tendencies. And that could lead to more stress and potentially insomnia or other nervous system disorders. So on a physical level, Mars and Gemini will also rule the lungs uh, because Gemini not only rules the nervous system, but the respiratory system as well. While Neptune in Pisces is associated with excess fatigue as well as lymphatic congestion because Pisces uh, has a lot to do with lymph movement and the immune system. So this combination may indicate uh, susceptibility to respiratory infections, allergies, and in more extreme situations, autoimmune disorders. And so we're getting into spring. Allergies are more likely because there's going to be pollen in the air. Um, so it's, you know, not totally wild to think that allergies could be exacerbated a little bit during this season. So it's something to be mindful of. The herb that I'm recommending for this is violet. The Latin name is viola odorata. And violet's one of my favorite herbs. It's, it's just, you know, beautiful purple flower. And we use the leaves and flowers medicinally. And it's a gentle demulcent. Demulcent is basically emollient, but for inside your body. So it 
coats the esophagus and the respiratory system all the way down to the gut lining and is super nourishing and soothing and anti-inflammatory and very lovely for a variety of conditions is generally for what demulcents are used for. And expectorant, uh, which is another action of violet, essentially means that it's soothing and supportive to the respiratory tract and helps to create productive coughing or mucus if that's necessary. Uh, So depending on, you know, if you get a cold and you have a dry cough, maybe you're needing to actually cough some of the gunk that's, that's in the respiratory tract out and an expectorant can help with that. So violet is a gentle demulcent and expectorant, and it's super cooling and soothing to the respiratory tract overall. And the flowers are really rich in vitamin C and antioxidants. And violet is actually one of my favorite lymphatics. It's not as talked about as much as, you know, cleavers or chickweed or some of the other lymphatics, but it is a really lovely lymphatic. It has an affinity for breast health. So I actually usually use violet with cancer placements or, or moon placements. So if something's happening with someone's moon or if they have moon and cancer, that would be a really good indication for violet as well. But since Pisces rules the lymph and Gemini has a lot to do with the lungs as well as the nervous system, violet is just a gentle coat over all of that and super nutritive. So I think it would be the perfect choice for this aspect. And energetically, violet has a lot to do with love and sweetness and bringing a sense of self-love in states of confusion or lack of creativity, as well as overwhelm. So I think it would be a really lovely ally in a tea form, or you can even add it to a salt scrub would be really lovely. So yeah, that's a little bit about that. Beautiful. Actually, there was something that I really want you to repeat that you said at the very beginning of your analysis, conflict between something and something. There's a conflict between our desire for action and our ability to see things clearly. Yes. I don't know why that, that just, um, like that hit me hard conflict between desire for action and the ability to see things clearly. Yeah. For me, that happens often where I'm, wanting to have action. I want to have movement. I want to get something done, but I have a lack of clarity or I'm not sure where I'm going or what I want. And so when we're unclear about our direction, it's really hard to make actionable steps to move forward. And if you do make an actionable step to move forward in that state of mind, there's like a huge possibility of making a misstep, you know, like I never want to be like someone to counsel anyone against action, but like having clarity before taking action is a healthy prerequisite. (laughs) Like having clarity is a healthy prerequisite for action. Like even if there's something you really want to do, if you're not super clear on at least like the, the potential consequences of your actions, you know, beneficial or harmful, then maybe it's best not to make a move. Yeah. And just being mindful. And if you're not clear on 
what you want or how to move forward, just taking a pause and looking inward until you gain a sense of that clarity. Moving on, the sun and Mercury will be taking us for a crazy ride from March 15th through March 21st. And we have the sun, which represents the ego, and Mercury, the planet of communication, making a lot of moves while very close together in the sign of Pisces, leading up to their conjunction in Pisces on Friday, March 17th. But basically from the 15th all the way through the equinox and after, we have Mercury and the sun just very close together in the sky from our perspective. So everything the sun is touching, Mercury is touching. Every aspect the sun is making, Mercury is making until they finally get to the point where they make a conjunction with each other. What I'm about to say is going to sound like a lot. The aspects I'm about to talk about, it's going to sound like a lot, but just, just Remember, as I'm talking, that the sun and Mercury are basically just doing everything together at the same time. They're like besties right now. They're just traveling and doing everything together, making all the same moves, like going shopping, buying like the same clothes in the mall and like going to the bathroom at the same time. Like that's the sun and Mercury right now. So let's start with Wednesday, March 15th, when we have the sun conjunct Neptune in Pisces. And then on the very next day, Thursday, March 16th, we have Mercury conjunct Neptune in Pisces. Uh, so we have the sun, which again represents the ego and Mercury, the planet of communication both forming conjunctions with Neptune, which is the planet of the subconscious, of dreams, altered states, visionary art, and again, in the sign of all those things, because Neptune is at home in Pisces, and Pisces is governed by Neptune, so they pretty much represent the same stuff in astrology. So, we have the ego and the planet of communication conjunct Neptune in Pisces, and this is perfect for the birth of new creative, new visionary ideas that could turn into projects down the line if you put the work behind turning the ideas into projects. And these ideas could also get weird because Neptune will be adding like a little sprinkling of illusion as it's want to do. So we could be talking about abstraction, like conceptual art projects, or even, um, even in like a not cool sense, you could get unclear communication happening here. Like you, you can't quite, you're in a conversation and you can't quite figure out what the other person is trying to say because Mercury is just like drowning in this Neptune Pisces energy. And then also on Thursday, March 16th, which like it, put a pin in March 16th because there is just like a ton of stuff happening. So on March 16th, 
in addition to that uh, Mercury con conjunct Neptune and Pisces, we also have the Sun in Pisces square Mars in Gemini. And then later that same day, we also have Mercury in Pisces square Mars in Gemini. So again, just a really big day where there's going to be a lot of focus on the sun, Mercury, Mars, and Neptune. It's a big stew, and we're going to try to, like, suss out some themes from this. But honestly, it sounds like chaos. So to talk about the squares a little, the sun in Pisces, square Mars in Gemini, and Mercury in Pisces, square Mars in Gemini, these are waning squares. So earlier, when... I talked about Mars forming a square with Neptune. We were talking about a waxing square or the first square in in astrological cycle. So the sun and Mercury are forming waning squares with Mars on the 16th. They'll be at the nine o'clock on the clock face coming toward Mars at 12. So this square as opposed to the square I talked about earlier, which is which represents the first challenge in an astrological cycle, this square represents the final challenge in an astrological cycle. So you have your conjunction, which is like the seed planting, the beginning of a cycle, your waxing square, the first square, which is the first challenge in the cycle, the opposition, which is the culmination, the climax of a cycle, the bearing of fruit from those seeds you planted. And then finally, you have the waning square, which is the final challenge in the cycle. And that's where the sun and Mercury are going to be coming up on March 16th in relationship to Mars. And I would say look out for explosive or tricky communication because again, we have the Sun and the Merc and Mercury in Pisces and uh, Pisces, like Neptune, tends to sprinkle a little bit of magical illusion onto anything that passes through it. Just to take all of this together, like trying to build a centralized theme, we have Mars in Gemini trying to like motivate us in an air sign, Gemini, right? And then we have like 90 degrees behind it, we have the sun, Mercury, and Neptune all hanging out in la-la land, like disconnected from reality, like Pisces land, which is also beautiful, right? Because it's where like brilliant inspired ideas come come from. The sun and Mercury and Neptune all just want to like chill in this creative water sign. And Mars is over here in Gemini, like, let's go. And so that that's where like the conflict is going to come in here. So within this time frame. Harkening back to the first segment of this episode, we had that Mars square with Neptune. And now, a couple days later, we've got the birth of visionary ideas with the Sun and Mercury conjunct Neptune and Pisces, followed by this conflict around motivation versus the impulse to chill in a state of wonder around ideas with these Mars squares. And just the big, the big takeaway uh, is that there's going to be a lot of energy around the sun, 
Mercury and Neptune in Pisces and Mars in Gemini from the 14th through the 17th. This is all, this is going to involve our ego, communication, conflict, and illusion. So just a lot going on here and really like the potential for for chaos, but also for some brilliant ideas to emerge. And uh, conflict always is accompanied by the potential for growth. So even if this time feels chaotic, you you still have the opportunity to come out of it learning something about yourself and growing, which is what we're really all about here. And then finally, uh, to tie up the Mercury, to tie up Mercury and the sun in Pisces with like a neat little bow, on Friday, March 17th, we finally get Mercury conjunct the sun in Pisces. So we've already talked about how they both have conjunctions with Neptune in Pisces, followed by squares with Mars and Gemini while they're in Pisces. And then they actually like meet up together in the sign of Pisces. Now this happens a few times a year. Mercury is never more than 28 degrees away from the sun. It actually moves faster than the sun from our perspective. So it gets ahead of the sun and then it retrogrades backwards, falls behind the sun, and then it starts moving forward again and eventually catches up to and passes the sun and then repeats this cycle. So Mercury is never more than a sign away from the sun. And this conjunction that we have on the 17th is Mercury catching up to the sun after a retrograde period. What does it mean? Like, what's the interpretation here? Well, the ego and the mind will be in alignment. And this is the clarity that we will need after the creative inspiration that we got from the sun and then Mercury conjunct Neptune in Pisces and then the conflict that followed that resulted from the square with Mars in Gemini. So like this, Friday, March 17th, after a few days of crazy chaos, we finally get the clarity of the ego and the mind coming together. And I think that this has the potential, this Friday, March 17th has the potential to be a day of feeling inspired if you're really tapped in. So like the potential for big inspiration on this day. Huh, I think I've confused everyone enough with that uh, monologue. So Jules, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you, Tony. I think you did a good job of dividing everything out and explaining it. So thank you. Yes, this is a lot to talk about in one segment. Lots happening with the sun and Mercury. So I'll start with March 15th when the sun is conjunct with Neptune and Pisces. And so this will bring overall heightened states of sensitivity. And this has some positives and negatives. On the positive side, it will enhance uh, you know, for those that are into the woo-woo stuff, it will enhance psychic abilities. It'll help us tap into our relationship with source a little bit easier and help us access our intuition. But on the downside, you may feel overwhelmed, psychically fragile, and very drained. So this is a really great day to make art of any kind. 
thinking outside the box, letting your hands guide you. I really like making sigils. And I think that this would work well with the energy of the sun and Neptune because it's basically a really sweet and easy way to make something creative while also planting a seed of intention and talking about sigils would take a really long time. So I just recommend, you know, Googling it if you don't know much about sigil making for right now. And maybe on another episode, I can go a little bit deeper into that. March 16th, there's a lot going on, like Tony mentioned. And first we have Mercury conjunct Neptune and Pisces, which will show a communication between dreams and imagination with intellect and clarity. So I see this being potent for those interested in dream work and leave a journal and a pen next to your bed so that you can jot down notes from your dreams right when you wake up. And during this conjunction, you'll have a little bit more wherewithal to learn and gain an understanding of your dreams, which can be helpful for processing and gaining a deeper understanding of ourselves. This placement can also lead to enhanced sensitivity to medications um, and interactions with drugs. So from the medical astrology perspective, um, it's important to be mindful of that. So for any herbalist who's listening, who is dispensing medicine on March 16th, just be extra mindful of your client's medications that they might be on and potential for contraindications. So just wanted to add that little disclaimer. And then the sun in Pisces square, Mars and Gemini can potentially bring tension to creative pursuits and a feeling of restlessness. The sun in Pisces is a very sensitive and empathetic placement while Mars and Gemini is more assertive and action oriented. So this square aspect between them can Uh, create a sense of tension between those qualities where people may struggle to assert themselves while also maybe struggling to be attuned to other people's emotions. And then physically with that, it can look like weakened immune function, digestive irritation, and a rise in mental health complaints. Next, we have Mercury and Pisces square Mars and Gemini. And I like to think of this as possibly the most passive-aggressive aspect uh, because Pisces is associated with passive behavior, while Gemini can be associated with aggression. So the square aspect between Mercury and Mars can create tension between these qualities, leading people to express their frustration or anger in a more passive-aggressive way. So being mindful of this and working on compassionate yet direct communication can be helpful. Mental agitation may be a little bit more likely here, as well as a propensity to be unclear with our words, saying, um, uh, hmm, like all these things too much is a little bit more on the table. It's not a great day to give a speech, record a class, record a podcast. So being mindful of that there. And the last thing here is Mercury conjunct Sun in Pisces on March 17th. So this is a really great aspect for creatives who are looking to get their point across more effectively. If you've been wanting to share your ideas with the world, 
March 17th may be a really great day to express your vision and be received well. On the flip side of that, this conjunction can bring an inclination towards some addictive patterns and potential to kind of spiral downward if you're not properly tending to your well-being. One way that this can be addressed of an activity that could be potentially supportive is doing visualization in meditation. Uh, so to help kind of visualize and create the reality that you are seeking in that moment um, could just be one tool. So for all of these mercury placements over a short period, I'm recommending working with lavender. So lavender is associated with mercury and it's really widely accessible. Everyone knows lavender. Most people really love the smell. It's certainly an ally for me. Uh, so lavender is associated with mental acuity, deeper understanding, and enha enhancement with communication, just like mercury. So it holds a plethora of medicinal uses. Lavender provides a deep sense of calm, and the tea or, or essential oil is used for a variety of things. So sleep support, insomnia, uh, it's also an anxiolytic, meaning that it relaxes and calms the nervous system. It is also an analgesic, which means that it's pain relieving, and this is topically as well as internally. It's antiseptic, um, so really great as a first aid ally for cuts, burns, wounds. It's really soothing to burns. Uh, lavender hydrosol or essential oil is great to have in your kitchen or to take with you on trips if, if you get a little burn. Uh, it's very helpful. So with all of these mercury aspects and so many Pisces placements, mental confusion can be on the horizon over these few days. So lavender is a really easy way to support yourself, get a good night of rest, bring you back down to earth and feeling reconnected. Excellent. I was wondering when lavender was going to come up and I think this is like the perfect time uh, amongst all of these chaotic aspects or like it's not that the aspects are chaotic, but just the chaos of so much happening within a short period and the planets that are involved, I think lavender is a perfect choice. Uh, I also love the idea of dream journaling. I'm just curious, have you ever like successfully been able to have a dream journaling practice yourself? Um, I've struggled with it for, you know, doing it consistently over a period of time. But what I did is that sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I don't want to turn on the light and affect my partner. So I'll just have my phone next to my bed and have it on really low brightness. And then while I'm still half asleep, kind of go to my notes section and jot things down and then read it the next day and go to my dream journal to decipher it a little bit more. And that's been helpful for me. And I, and I've done like a few dream workshops, like when we lived at Esalen and gained some tools that were helpful for gaining an understanding of, of what might've been happening in my dreams and what my subconscious was trying to tell me. So I do find it to be a really helpful tool in gaining a deeper understanding of, of what's currently in our psyche or, or past challenges that are resurfacing for a reason. Uh, but it, it's not something I do all the time or have a consistent practice with, but it is my intention moving forward to start focusing more on that. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. 
Okay, so after talking about all of that chaos happening with the sun and Mercury uh, leading up to their conjunction on the 17th, now we're going to take you back to the day before on the 16th, where there were already like three or four different things happening. And I'm telling you, Thursday, March 16th is going to be cray cray because in addition to Mercury conjunct Neptune, the Sun square Mars, and Mercury square Mars, we have Venus in Aries square Pluto in Capricorn. And this is a waxing square at 29 degrees and 52 minutes Capricorn. We are almost in Aquarius with Pluto, baby. And that is happening at the end of this episode. So stick around to hear about Pluto in Aquarius because I love seeing how close to the end of Pluto and Capricorn we are. Okay, so getting back to this aspect, Venus in Aries, square Pluto in Capricorn. This is a waxing square. So again, the first square that happens in an astrological cycle after a conjunction. And this square is going to represent a challenge related to the death of a love or a passion because we have Venus, which is the planet that represents our passions and the things we love, square Pluto in a cycle really with Pluto, which is the planet of death and transformation. And really death is just a transformation, right? So this cycle could represent the death of a relationship you have to something or someone you love, not their death. Like, I don't want you to say, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that someone you love is going to die. This is like, this is the end of something that you love or are passionate about. And this is the first challenging aspect in an already challenging cycle. So this cycle started when Venus was conjunct Pluto on January 1st. And like, what a crazy way to start the new year, right? With like the beginning of a cycle of death and transformation of one of your loves or passions. So just look out that day. Like this might be the first day that you really notice the end. The, the end of your relationship to this thing or this person, this hobby, this passion that you love. So, you know, be, be very gentle with yourself when you're thinking about this aspect. And it's happening again, like it's happening on a day when there's so much else happening that you may not even notice that this is like the beginning of the end of something or like the first noticeable sign of the beginning of the end. It's not easy to talk about this like Venus Pluto cycle because like, don't we all just wish that our relationships to the things we love could go on forever? Uh, but they don't just like our, just like everything, you know, impermanence. Okay, and then 
less than three hours after this Venus square with Pluto, Venus moves into the sign of Taurus. And this is a happy transit. This is really exciting. Uh, this is Venus in her home space. So Venus will be in Taurus from March 16th. Is this from Thursday, March 16th until April 11th Eastern time or April 10th Pacific time. And this transit is just it's the its essence is sensuality like there's so much sensuality that comes with venus transiting taurus and now is really the time to treat yourself show yourself some love i would say especially on march 24th when the moon will be conjunct venus in taurus that that will be a very nice day to get sensual with yourself or with someone that you love or have warm, fuzzy feelings toward. This transit, Venus through Taurus, will be really Venus feeling herself. Like, you know, that um, that Beyonce and Nicki Minaj song, I'm feeling myself, I'm feeling myself, I'm feeling my, yeah, like that is super Venus in Taurus energy. If you have your sun, moon, Venus, Mars, or Jupiter in Taurus, this is going to be an extra good, extra sensual time for you, especially those days when Venus makes a conjunction with the planet you have in Taurus. Uh, so look out for those special extra sensual days. Eat the foods you love, get a massage, snuggle under a weighted blanket in front of a fire, uh, this transit is the height of hedonism, and it really makes me think of hedonism bot on Futurama when he's like, Jumbe, the chocolate icing. Oh my, yes. You know, and he's got his servant like rubbing chocolate, chocolate icing on his golden belly. So yeah, Venus and Taurus, treat yourself. Yeah, I definitely don't know that reference, but... Thanks for sharing. Me. Uh, How have you not seen every episode of Futurama? I think You're I've a seen bad one millennial. or two. I think bad I've seen millennial. one or two. It just never resonated with me. I watched a lot of Family Guy, but uh, Futurama was not not for me. Sorry. Your East Coast is showing. I'm sure there's plenty of East Coast people who watch Futurama. Okay, so I didn't really prepare anything to talk about Venus and Aries square Pluto and Capricorn because we're just going to talk going to talk so much about Pluto moving into Aquarius a little bit later. So, just left that to Tony. Uh but Venus moving into Taurus is definitely a fun aspect in a lot of ways uh because Venus and Taurus, it's the strongest and most comfortable in this expression um so venus and taurus is definitely going to be like tony was saying a lot about indulging experiencing pleasure um sensory experiences will be elevated and this can manifest as love of food art music or other sensory pleasures so that's kind of like more on the positive side the sensuality the pleasure seeking and then on the other side of it, Taurus uh, is very much related to material possessions and materialism. 
So Venus and Taurus is no exception of that. And this transit may bring more of a desire for luxury and comfort, might be drawn to more beautiful things like jewelry, clothing, art. So if you've been really wanting to kind of splurge on like a really beautiful outfit or an art piece, you're more likely to do it during this transit. The other nice thing about Venus and Taurus is that this is a very like stable and loyal transit. Uh, Taurus is a fixed sign and it's more associated with stability, consistency. Uh, so for those, you know, in relationships, they might feel with the Venus and Taurus more stable in in the people that they're dating, which is always a nice thing. That security, you know, feels good. So in medical astrology, Venus is associated with the throat, the neck, lymph, as well as the skin. And Venus and Taurus could potentially bring greater sensitivity to these areas. And so the throat would be a big one because Taurus is also associated with the throat. So could be prone to more issues with the throat, like sore throat or laryngitis, things like that. And also during this transit, because Taurus is a fixed sign, we could be holding tension more in our throat area. And it's really important to just, you know, attune our energy to that. Uh, maybe do throat chakra meditations to just kind of open the throat and release tension there because tension can really be held there, which can affect communication. Other issues that we could potentially see are dental problems. Taurus is associated with the teeth and jaw and people during this time in Venus and Taurus could be prone to more dental issues um, like cavities or tooth decay. The other thing that we might see during this transit, people might be more prone to allergies and sensitivities to beauty products and fragrances. I know for myself, I'm always very sensitive to those things uh, because they can be endocrine disruptors and, you know, it's just synthetic materials oftentimes in unnatural beauty products. And this could for those who might be more used to using beauty products and bath products that they're not super aware of the ingredients just might more likely be uh, have a skin reaction or a rash or something like that on the positive note this is also one of the best transits of the year for beauty for just like feeling yourself so Lips might look a little bit more voluptuous. Hair can be thicker and fuller. It's a really good opportunity to just get dressed up, put on a little bit of makeup if that's your thing, and let your beautiful self be seen by the world. So I think it's pretty obvious the herbs that I choose for Venus and Taurus, and that is rose. Definitely one of my favorite herbs as well. I love drinking rose and tea because it feels very luxurious but I also use rose oil. I, I pretty much use rose in every form because it's so soft and sweet and loving and sensual. And so rose can really promote a sense of calm and relaxation and 
connection to other people. It can be inspiring and loving. It really is stimulating to the senses and um, has been, you know, used for with cultures all over the world and is really wonderful with divination and magic work. And it is just a very high vibration plant, uh, which is why it's used for love, which is, you know, the highest vibration of all. So physically, something people might not know about rose is it's, it's a gentle astringent, it's anti-inflammatory, it has a lot of antioxidants, so it's used topically a lot for skin issues. So if one of those rashes or something comes up, uh, like I mentioned, rose can actually be a really gentle, supportive, um, cooling agent to help that as long as it's real rose. And roses are expensive, so if you're getting you know, a product that is five or ten dollars that has rose in it, then you can almost guarantee it's synthetic rose and that's not going to help your issue. So using, you know, rose infused oil or the pure rose absolute or essential oil that's been diluted in an oil or if it's a hydrosol, those can be really supportive. And so roses can also be helpful for sore throats. Like I mentioned, rose petals have anti-inflammatory and cooling properties and is really soothing and can support the irritation with the throat if that's something that comes up. And they're also astringent, so that can help uh, tone and tighten the tissues. Yeah, so I recommend making a tea or using roses in pretty much any form. Uh, They're pretty much the best herb, and I'm sure I'll talk about them more moving forward. I knew you were going to talk about Rose for this transit, so glad we could. Glad glad you can talk about it. It is like a beautiful herb. Glad you can hype it up. And when you were saying that like Venus and Taurus could relate to like tooth decay mouth issues, it made me think like all the hedonists out there like eating their chocolate truffles and their chocolate frosting that they're rubbing on their bellies or whatever the ways in which we treat ourselves can also cause harm to ourselves so uh, brush your teeth after you eat your chocolate frosting off your lover's stomach okay Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing about Venus and Jupiter, which are the benefits in medical astrology. They're, you know, generally positive, but there can always be too much of a good thing. So when we exacerbate, and an example of that is Venus and Taurus, because that's like double Venus energy, double kind of sloth materialism energy. And that can lead to people eating lots of extra sugar, indulging. The perfect example of Venus in Taurus is Parks and Recreation, Donna, and why can't I remember Aziz Ansari's character's name? It'll come to me in a moment and I'll feel embarrassed because Parks and Rec is my favorite show ever. Oh, Tom Haverford, of course. Okay, so Tom Haverford and Donna, their whole thing is treat yourself treat yourself day where they go and do a million things of like going to the spa, going shopping. And every time they're going to buy something, it's like, should I do it? And then the other one's like, treat yourself. And so they just like probably spend thousands of dollars in one day treating themselves to luxurious things and fancy meals. And that is quintessential Venus and Taurus energy. So 
just be mindful of that. Or maybe you just want to lean into it and treat yourself. I don't know. Now we're going to talk about Mercury and the sun again, and this time we're going to talk about them moving into Aries, as well as a new moon in Aries, as well as the spring equinox, which actually is the sun moving into Aries, so uh, that's the same thing, but Basically, what I'm trying to say here is we've got some big Aries energy coming up. Starting on Saturday, March 18th, going through the 21st, we have this major focus, this shift into Aries, and this focus on the new, the new astrological year, the opportunity for new growth as the sun hits zero degrees Aries and takes us into spring. Like I am, I imagine sprouts emerging from the soil of my inner landscape, to put it in Esselin speak. So Right after the Mercury-Sun conjunction in the last degrees of Pisces on March 17th, we have on Saturday, March 18th, Mercury moving into Aries. So we have the planet of communication moving into the sign of action, motivation. And this, if, if you're into the tarot, this is Ace of Wands energy, like pure creative fire. And this is a great Mercury placement for leadership. It's going to be a great time to speak up and to say what's necessary to put a plan into motion or to forward your motives, your goals, put some motivational energy into your goals, or just, you know, advocate for yourself. Use your voice to advocate for yourself with this Mercury moving into Aries. Again, It this is a transit of action, active communication. And then on Monday, March 20th, we have the sun moving into Aries for the spring equinox. All right. And that will be happening at 5.24 p.m. Eastern time or 2.24 p.m. Pacific time, if you like to know the exact moment to celebrate our transition into a new season. So this is the start of a new astrological year. And the sun is also going to be moving into this sign, this season of motivation and action and leadership. And um, actually, the sun in Aries makes me think about that verse in the song High Hopes, which is sung by Frank Sinatra. And um, pardon me, I'm, I'm going to sing it if you'll just bear with me. Once there was a silly old ram, thought he'd punch a hole in a dam. No one could make that ram scram. He kept button that dam. Like, does everyone know that song, High Hopes? Because we've got high hopes. But that, that verse in that song, like, perfectly encapsulates Aries' energy to me. The ram is just going to keep on button the dam. Like that's what we're doing. That's what we're here to do this time of year is take action and like really 
hit the ground running for the astrological new year to bring whatever dreams we had back in Pisces season that we want to bring into reality in this coming year, like hit the ground running energy behind it. Really just keep like button that damn. This is Aries energy. This is the energy of perseverance, of motivation. And people who are born with their son in Aries make really great leaders if they have cultivated empathy and can lead without knocking others down. So um, just make sure, you know, that in this time, in this season of like motivation and action, that you are remembering to uh, have empathy for the people around you, to check in with the people around you, to make sure that you are not stepping all over them and their feelings and their boundaries to get what you're working toward. And Jules actually has a lot more than I do to say about the equinox. So before we get to that, I do just want to comment very quickly on the new moon in Aries that is happening the day after the spring equinox. This is happening on Tuesday, March 21st. And like I've said, a couple of episodes, two or three episodes already. Of the the new moon is a conjunction, so this is seed planting. You're you're planting your seeds, planting your intentions for the next twenty nine point five day lunar cycle. And an interesting note: we will actually have two new moons in Aries. Uh, the second is going to be on. Thursday, April 20th, my time, happy 420, or Wednesday, April 19th, Jules's time. And this is not just a new moon. That new moon is going to be a total solar eclipse in some parts of the world. So that we'll be talking about on a future episode. But just for now, I think it's very interesting that we have two new moons in Aries this coming sun in Aries season. I know Jules has a lot to say about the equinox, so take it away, Jules. Thank you, Tony. Okay, so not going to get too much into Mercury in Aries, and my focus is mostly on the spring equinox because as a witch, uh, the equinoxes and solstices and uh, the wheel of the year holidays are important to me, and are potent astrological days as well. So the spring equinox is also known as Astara. Um, and so many of the modern equinox practices that are celebrated today were derived from Germanic fo folklore. And so Astara is the Anglo-Saxon goddess of fertility, spring renewal and fruitfulness. And she's often associated with rabbits, eggs and the full moon. And the old English name for her is Eostre. And so Eostre, kind of similar word to Astara, it was later adapted by the Christian church for the festival of Easter, spelled similarly. So it's E-O-S-T-R-E, and that later became Easter. Easter incorporates a number of symbols from Astara celebrations, like uh, rabbits and eggs and whatnot. And 
Easter is interestingly closely linked to the seasonal change, despite not falling on the actual first day of spring. Easter is observed on the full moon following the spring equinox and is determined by the Jewish lunar calendar. And as a result, taking into consideration the equinox and the moon, Easter and the Jewish spring festival of Passover embody two aspects of spring's astrology. So I just find that really interesting that uh, a lot of religious holidays are also around this time and um, actually derived from pagan holidays, uh, which I'm sure many of them would not like to admit to. There's also a few other holidays around this time of year with the spring equinox is also the Persian New, New Year festival as well. And so that's a secular holiday where friends and family get together and have celebratory feasts. Many feature eggs as well as fresh green herbs. And there's, you know, traditions for spring cleaning and new beginnings. And then there is the holy celebration of colors in India, celebrating the victory over good and evil, which is represented by the end of winter and the start of spring. For those of you who don't know much about the equinox, the day and night are in equilibrium that day, and it's a time of finding balance and harmony and also the beginning of the astrological new year. So it's a time of new beginnings and kind of like a fresh start, this place of balance and inner harmony where we can start fresh and set our intentions, plant our seeds to grow and begin to blossom during the spring and summer. So it's a pretty, you know, happy festive holiday. So with other symbolism during this time, we see eggs and uh, seeds being a big part of the symbolism because they contain that potential and promise for new life and new opportunities to grow. And, you know, in the spring, seeds are being sown and many animals are being impregnated. The earth is really fertile and we're on the precipice of more abundance. And in some cultures, eggs are seen as a vessel in which the entire universe resides. Sometimes that's called the cosmic egg. And people see the eggs as this perfect balance of dark and light, masculine and feminine, uh, some people see the yolk as the sun and the egg white as the moon. So it's this time of complete balance and growth and expansion will be soon arriving. I really love bunnies. Me and my husband call each other bunny. So I'm going to talk about rabbits a little bit because they're also related to Astara. And even though it's a little bit before Easter and some of these other holidays, you know, they're also associated with that as well. So the March hare, for example, uh, rabbits and hares were also sacred to the goddess Astara. And there is a myth that she could transform into a nocturnal hare. And the hare symbolizes the moon because in the folklore, the hare and the moon would both die every morning and be resurrected every evening. And so this also relates to the rebirth of nature in the spring and this symbol of immortality. So the moon and this time of year are really closely related 
as well. And so it's an interesting, it's interesting that the day after the spring equinox, there's a new moon, which is also a really wonderful time to set intentions. I would say the new moon in Aries is probably one of the best times of the year to be uh, putting intentions and working towards goals and doing a manifestation ritual. Back to rabbits. Rabbits multiply quickly and so really representing fertility and they can also get a little wild during the mating season and erratically bounce around which is why they're known as the mad march hares or like in Alice in Wonderland the march hare is pretty crazy the one that's having tea with the, the mad hatter so that's kind of where we get some of these uh, stories and folklore rabbits are paradoxical because they represent this foolishness and cleverness at the same time femininity as well as androgyny and cowardice as well as courage and purity as well as sexuality so they're really these curious beings that i i really like and resonate with and uh so now you have you know kind of a deeper understanding of how you know easter bunnies came to be uh, but the symbolism of it is, is I think, very fascinating. The equinox is when day and night are equal length, and then every day thereafter we are approaching more light. And this is a really wonderful opportunity to notice areas in your life that feel out of balance and where you want to work toward bringing more equilibrium and alignment. So there's a lot of different ways to do this journaling and just noticing um, what is feeling really good and in balance and what is feeling out of balance and you know attune your attention to that and set really clear intentions around the equinox and the new moon after the equinox to bring that more into balance so that you can feel overall more vitality and happiness a way to honor the equinox is also cleansing old energy that isn't serving you anymore. That's why spring cleaning is kind of a big thing during the spring, making more space energetically, uh, you know, doing like an exfoliating ritual would be really lovely, cleaning your house, cleaning your space, and just kind of making cleansing a little bit before the spring starts so you can start fresh and feel really good moving into this astrological new year. Okay, so a little bit more about Aries now. So Aries is courageous, fierce, potentially impulsive, um, also enthusiastic. And Aries is kind of known for the warrior spirit, but it's also representative of naivety and kind of this childlike dis disposition, a child that has no in inhibitions and is ready to take on anything life throws at it. And this sign is the marriage of the planet Mars and the element fire. So that's basically double fire. So that's a lot of action, energy, that fire to initiate the cycle. In medical astrology, the sun moving into Aries on the downside could look like acute injuries, headaches, and hot inflammatory conditions because Aries rules the head. So you can think of Aries as kind of a hot, acute condition that comes on um, that initial inflammation. And so it's important to be extra mindful, not make super impulsive decisions during Aries season, 
overall Aries has a pretty high vitality and is strong. Um, so it could be a time of feeling really healthy and like you're building strength. So it's, it's a great idea to just stay really hydrated, move your body and, um, you know, just be mindful because injuries could be a little bit more likely, but still make sure to get out there and get into that Aries energy. And I also consider a chlorophyll supplement. Uh, you can get chlorophyll drops and those help to build red blood cells, which can help prevent headaches since headaches could be more likely. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned before, the Aries new moon one of the best days of the year for setting intentions with this new cycle, pushing forward passion projects. But physically, when the moon is in Aries, we could be more likely to be nauseous or have an acidic, acidic stomach, which are pretty common for this. So make sure to cool yourself down with demulcent herbs. I talked a little bit about demulcent earlier. They're really cooling and soothing and anti-inflammatory to the tissues. So a couple of herbs that if you get some of that Aries uh, nausea and acidic stomach would be marshmallow root and peach leaf. Peach leaf is a really lovely herb that I don't work with enough because I don't find myself in front of peach trees with the fresh leaves that often, but they are super cooling and anti-inflammatory and nourishing and uh, anti-emetic, which means helps with nausea or vomiting. Uh, they're used a lot in you know the early stages of pregnancy to help with nausea symptoms. But that's not even the main herbs that I'm going to talk about. Don't get in there. During the spring equinox and this timing with this Aries energy, people really like to you know, associate things with new beginnings, growth, and balance. And I am really loving nettle for this time of year. Nettle is this herb that if you've ever come across it by accident, you might not like it very much because it's also known as stinging nettle. It kind of will give a prickly feel and like a stinging sensation, but that's where a lot of the medicine comes in. So Nettle is almost like a weed. It really pops up all over the place during the spring. It's very resilient. A lot of people are into nettle pesto now, but it's super rich in vitamins and minerals and it's supportive for the immune system. It's used a lot in seasonal allergies. It's, you know, has very high amounts of iron and calcium and vitamin C. So making a daily infusion of it in the spring is so helpful for allergies and then mineral building. And it's also a diuretic, so it helps with kidney function, heart health, promoting healthy skin. It can be supportive for rheumatic conditions uh, because it's pain relieving. Uh, it really just has like so many medicinal qualities. And um, it's, it's also used for prostate health. So it's this wonderful, powerful plant ally that I recommend a lot to my clients and uh, has been a very helpful ally for me because I've struggled with allergies a lot. Yeah, so nettle is connected with Mars and Aries because it, it has that Martian energy of that hot stinging quality. So even though once it's taken, it brings more of a cooling quality uh, because of the stinging nature of it and 
um, you know, kind of goes with that Mars aggressive nature, it has been related to Mars. But what's nice is that it's actually perfect for Mars conditions because it brings more of a cooling energy to the hot inflammation of Mars. And so doing infusions of nettle, tinctures, and I'm mostly talking about the leaf, but the seeds and the root is also medicinal. I um, usually only use the seeds and the root more in like reproductive issues, prostate, uh, urinary tract. Uh, but the nettle is really where all those minerals lie. So yeah, that's a long <laughs> explanation of the spring equinox. And this is one of my favorite holidays. And I led a retreat a few years ago called Desert Magic, where we honored the spring equinox and gathered in the desert. And it was, it was a really beautiful, magical experience. So you have more questions about how to celebrate or ritual suggestions, feel free to email me. Thank you, Jules, for such a thorough and beautiful download about the mythology and symbolism of Easter and the equinox. Um, really enjoyed that. And yes, she she and her husband, Casey, do call each other bunny and it's really hard not to vomit every time I hear them do it. But no, they are a super adorable couple, but they actually do that. Also, you mentioned <laughs> peach leaf. Uh, I've never, um, oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to respond to that? <laughs> no, <laughs> most people have a similar reaction. They either think it's really cute or I guess gross, but you know, I like pet names. It's fun. It was interesting to hear you talk about peach leaf because I've never heard of that used as an herb before. So that was surprising. Yeah. Uh, it's not one that I've worked with extensively, but I have a couple of times and I know some herbalists that work with it pretty often and it's just super cooling and soothing. And there's not a lot of herbs that are helpful for nausea it's basically like ginger chamomile peppermint and peach leaf and ginger is oftentimes the go-to during pregnancy but if somebody has a lot of heat like a hot condition or they run hot or hot in their digestive fire ginger isn't going to be a good choice because it's so warming but peach leaf is very cooling so it can, it can be more correct for someone's constitution if they're running hot and they're having the nausea. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. And also, I'm glad that nettles was your primary herb for this segment because I love nettles so much. And I'll never forget the first time that I was pulling weeds without gloves uh, on the Esalen farm and grabbed stinging nettles because where I'm from, I'm from Houston, Texas originally. So I didn't like grow up with nettles. They're not common there. And I grabbed it and was just like, holy crap, why are there bees stinging my hands right now? <laughs> And then, yeah, and then, like, I feel I feel a special connection to that herb. And, like, later on, um, when I was living in San Francisco, I harvested it from Golden Gate Park in the spring 
uh, to make nettle soup out of. And it's so great. So go out and harvest yourself some stinging nettles for spring and just make sure you wear gloves. <laughs> yeah, definitely be mindful of how you do it because the, the stings can be no joke. Uh, but it's funny, the first time I met Nettle was also at Esalen on a hike in the canyon. And I, you know, walked by it. And I was like, why does my leg hurt now? And I was all confused. So it was it was a cool learning experience. I had never I had never known Nettles as well. But it is such a, a powerful ally. And, you know, a lot of herbs, I'm not always pro, you know, wild harvesting, there can be a lot of downsides to that, uh, which I can get into more, maybe in another episode. But weeds are really good to, to forage and wildcraft because usually they're not wanted there. So something that's a weed that is really proliferates, it's great to, to harvest those. And nettle is super abundant, especially on the West Coast. Okay, so if Julie was most excited to talk about the spring equinox this episode, we have now approached the transit about which I am most excited to talk on this episode, which is Pluto's movement into Aquarius on March 23rd. So Pluto has been in Capricorn, an earth sign that is closely associated with the material world and materialism since 2008. So we've had the planet of transformation, of death, of letting go in this heavily material sign for pretty much the past 15 years. And before I get into Pluto moving into Aquarius, I, I do want to talk about what it's meant for Pluto to have this 15-year transit through Capricorn. And I'm going to use myself as an example of how Pluto's transit of Capricorn can manifest on an individual level. For me, the Pluto transit through Capricorn has been happening mostly in my fourth house of home. Okay, so the planet of death and transformation has been transiting my fourth house of home in the sign of Capricorn since Pluto moved into Capricorn at the end of 2008, pretty much. Okay, I have never lived in a single place for more than a year and change since Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008. Uh, I counted them out. I have moved 16 times in the past 14 years since Pluto went into Capricorn. No stable material home, my home constantly transforming and changing shape and location. So it's like the perfect manifestation of the of Pluto, the planet of death and transformation moving through the heavy material sign of Capricorn. And I'm really wondering if this is going to change for me now that Pluto is moving into Aquarius. And on a societal level, we've seen so many financial crises within this time frame. Like I'm a I'm a millennial. Like 
the U.S. has been in a financial crisis, like pretty much since I became an adult. And, you know, again, this Pluto, the planet of death and transformation has been moving through this heavy earth sign, this material sign of Capricorn, a sign that's known to be associated with money in particular. So think about it. Pluto's transit of Capricorn started with the global financial crisis of 2008, and it's ending with the financial crisis related to inflation, everything being unaffordable, like people my age not being able to afford to own homes when like, you know, most people in our parents' generation was able to achieve that goal. It's like a very palpable transit. Like you can see the evidence of Pluto and Capricorn everywhere. And now moving on to the main event, which is Pluto moving into Aquarius. So first of all, this upcoming transition into Aquarius on March 23rd is just a teaser. Pluto is only going to be in Aquarius this time through June 11th, and then it's going to go back into Capricorn due to a retrograde period, and then it'll go forward into Aquarius again in January of next year, 2024, but then it's going to again retrograde back into Capricorn for a short period from September through mid-November 2024, and then After entering into Aquarius again in November of 2024, it's going to be in Aquarius straight through 2044. So we're about to enter a 20-year period of Pluto in Aquarius. This is the start of a major transit. So what is indicated by Pluto in Aquarius? Again, this is the planet of death, of energy transformation, going into the sign of innovation, of social justice, of social reform, of the unexpected and surprises and rebellion. And me, what that means is this could be the time when we turn it all around. And by it, I mean the social inequality that has been intensifying for over a decade now. After the last 15 years or so of Pluto and Capricorn and crazy transformations in the material slash financial world, starting with the 2008 global financial crisis all the way up through the current global state of financial crisis, this could be the moment that we as a society transform the way we think about class structure, about social welfare, about whether people deserve a guaranteed quality of life so that we can finally start addressing the damage we've done to our host planet, which is like the real issue here. But like nobody's going to be able to focus on that until we improve the quality of life enough for everybody to be able to like put attention toward that issue. And I really like, I just can't stop thinking about how this transit of Pluto into Aquarius indicates massive social reform and how it is guaranteed to include a struggle because Pluto is involved. Old ideology has to die before a new ideology can be birthed and put into practice. The old has to die to make way for the new. 
So um, just historically, the, the last time that Pluto was in Aquarius was from 1777 to 1797. And during that time period, the world experienced both the American and the French revolutions. So that was like the death of the old governments, government taking a new form, democracy, like as, as we know it in its current form, what we experience today, like that was born out of the last Pluto in Aquarius period. And those revolutions were bloody and... There was a lot of death that had to occur in order for like this new system of government to emerge. Like these, these Pluto transits through Aquarius, these revolutions aren't uh, easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's not just you wake up one day and a system is transformed. And then before that, Pluto and Aquarius period from 1777 to 1797, we had Pluto and Aquarius from 1532 to 1533. And that was when Henry VIII established the Church of England in 1532. That was when John Calvin started the Protestant Reformation in 1532 in France. And even Martin Luther, uh, although you know, he's like the original theological rebel. And although he wrote the 95 Theses in 1517, his influence did extend into Pluto in Aquarius, including his publication of the Lutheran Bible in 1534. So again, we, we see like the death of the old, and this time it was like church structure. So like the death of the churches that were in power in order for a new church to emerge for like this religious authority to take a new form. <laughs> Nothing truly dies people like government doesn't truly die. It takes new form. Religion never truly dies. It just takes a new form. And that is what is indicated by this Pluto transit through Aquarius is the taking of that new form. So yeah, we're about to enter a 20-year period of reform and revolution. And on a societal level, this is going to mean death to old power structures and the birth of the new. I just want to read a text that I sent to Jules before we recorded this episode because I think it like perfectly encapsulates my own feeling better than I could script it out. So I I wrote to her, I'm excited, but also kind of scared. It's like a guaranteed time of revolution in some way or another. Like if before it was the British colonial government and before that the Catholic Church that we revolted against, I think this time it's going to be the corporate overlords like Amazon that we rebel against, especially thinking about how Amazon is about to have its Saturn return in Pisces, which we talked about last episode. This is going to be wild. And I don't even want to speculate as to how it's going to play out because I'm not trying to like instill fear in people. So just think about it for yourself. I'm sure there are other people um, online with blogs and stuff who are who are talking about their theories and um, giving predictions for how this is going to play out. But like, I don't want to put that into your head right now. Although I will say, if you're in the United States, like I am, 
I do think that things are going to at least seem to get worse before they get better. We just have to get through this period of the death of the old system. And it's going to be a struggle. Like it's not going to be easy. But on the other side of that, we will be able to explore and enjoy the new system that's going to emerge in its place. So uh, it might be a tough couple of decades, but after that, uh, we're, we're going to be frolicking together in the new system, whatever, however that manifests. Thank you, Tony, for that in-depth share about Pluto moving into Aquarius I, I really resonate with a lot of what you said and, and appreciate your take on it. So Pluto, uh, as we know, it's a generational planet that moves very slowly through the zodiac. And overall, Pluto represents transformation, power, and deep-seated change. And it's really associated a lot with the shadow, the hidden and the unconscious aspects of self as well as the collective. And then we have Aquarius, which is the sign of innovation, technology, and social progress. And it really helps us to, you know, think outside the box, unconventional, as well as humanitarian energy. So I agree with Tony that I I think that it's, you know, potential for some kind of revolution, big change to happen. And it may seem scary at first, but I think eventually it will lead to something really positive. And there could be some upheaval, but I think there will also be a lot of great innovation and progress over the next 20 years. One of the big things is like something that's really important to me is shadow work. And so for those of you who may not be familiar with the shadow or that term, the term was coined by Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. And the shadow is like the parts of ourself that we might hide or push away or not even know about, kind of blind spots. And they actually hold the secrets and the answers to a lot of what we want to know to our healing process. And uh, there's Pluto also has to do with the collective psyche, the collective shadow. And so with Pluto moving into Aquarius and Aquarius being this rebellious sign of freedom and action um, and social progress, I think that hopefully <clears throat> the the, sh- the collective psyche shadow is coming more to the forefront and there will be, you know, a greater emphasis on social justice and equality and healing those cultural wounds. And, you know, we'll see transformative change, especially in society, humanity, progress, and a lot with social justice. That's what I'm hoping for. I think that there will be some uproar and some challenges with that, but people are, you know, fighting for what they believe in and That's what we need to continue doing. So in medical astrology, Pluto is associated with the processes of elimination, transformation, and regeneration in the body. So all of the excretory organs and whatnot. And Aquarius is associated with circulation, nervous system, as well as the ankles and calves. 
And so Pluto in Aquarius can indicate changes within physically within circulation, nerve health, and ankle health. So with Pluto in Aquarius, again, I don't want to scare anybody and this stuff isn't definitely going to happen or anything like that. It's just possibilities based on what we know about Pluto. Pluto rules radiation, poisoning, nuclear war, resistant bacteria. So kind of scary stuff. Pluto's the most, I guess, intense planet when it comes to that. But also it's the planet that we know the least about because it was, you know, discovered not that long ago. So we don't fully have like a deep understanding of how it reacts in the body. But from what we do know, it's kind of those deeper, more intense issues, especially surrounding collective rather than just individual. When Pluto is moving into Aquarius, there could be more of a likelihood for some uprising and anarchy. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are some pretty crazy events moving forward and major collective shifts over the next 20 years. And again, that's not to scare anybody or even make predictions. Like, I definitely think this is going to happen. But based on what we know and the state of the world right now, I think that it's a possibility. So overall, I think physically with our health, what we really want to be doing is looking at our shadow and processing and moving through the deep-seated trauma that is held in our bodies. Uh, Dream work can be helpful for this, but like going to therapy, really looking within and not projecting. If we want to have collective transformation and growth and create the beautiful world we know is possible, we have to start with that individual healing. That, That doesn't mean it needs to be done alone. It could be done in a group. Group settings can be really beautiful ways of doing it, but it's going to be important to look within and move through those past hurts so that we're not projecting all over each other. I've been trying to decide what what herb I want to talk about. There's, there's a lot of different herbs that I could talk about, but really, I think the best to mention is not an herb, it's actually a fungus, and that would be psilocybin mushrooms. And so... Psilocybin can help us tap into the unknown, the unseen, but also the true feelings that are within us. It can help us tap into deep inner knowing and gain an understanding of where we've been and where we're going. And even, you know, micro doses or working with psilocybin essence, that's not going to actually have an effect on, you know, putting you in an altered state, but it's still an energetic essence that can help you kind of view the world differently, view your situation differently. What I love about psilocybin is that something that could take years and years to process in other ways, it can help us move through a lot quicker and a lot more effectively. And it is actually a powerful medicine. And luckily, more and more states are decriminalizing it or I think even legalizing it in some states. So it's becoming a little bit more accessible and it's a very powerful medicine. So as Pluto is shifting into Aquarius, uh, I think that this can be a really helpful ally for that collective shift and 
gaining deeper awareness within projecting less on each other and healing old wounds. There's also a lot of research going into the use of psilocybin for mood disorders and PTSD and other mental health challenges, including depression, uh, which we could see over this time period with Pluto and Aquarius. So yeah, I think I think it would be really supportive for those that feel comfortable with it. Excellent. Thanks, Jules. You know how much I love my psychedelics, so I'm so happy you brought psilocybin mushrooms into our discussion of natural substances you can work with to support yourself through these astrological transits. Because honestly, man, if the whole world started taking psilocybin mushrooms, we'd get through this period of revolution like a whole lot more smoothly. I just feel like there would be less violent conflict if everyone got some psilocybin in their system. And I also want to thank you for bringing Carl Jung into the discussion because that man really understood how we walk through reality as like monkeys with consciousness. And I, I really hope I get the chance someday to go back to school and study Jungian analysis. But for now, we can just bring him into the podcast. But yeah, great man, great work. Yeah, agreed. Um, definitely a pioneer within psychology and, and the depth psychology aspects of, oh, yeah, moving through trauma in a different way and incorporating alchemy. And, you know, he was just a, a witch, basically, <laughs> a scientific witch who was like incorporating the esoteric, the magical with science, which is, I think, what, what both of us are trying to do incorporating the ethereal and the magic and the magical with also you know the scientific uses of plants and, and how they work and I don't usually lump you know psychedelics in with with herbal medicine and so when people use the term plant medicine and they're talking about ayahuasca or other things um, I don't love that that terminology even though yes it is a natural form of medicine from the earth it's kind of I think of it as a different category but I, I think of all of them, psilocybin is probably the most accessible and because it can be taken in microdoses as well as like I made a uh, mushroom essence recently. And so that again is just working with it energetically. You're not getting any of the psychoactive components, uh, but it can still slowly support shifting the, our narrative and helping us to change our mind, you know, like Michael Pollan says in his book, like how to change your mind, work with the substance. Uh, so for those who want uh, a, an educated white man to tell them what to do if they're not willing to listen to natives and elders from all different parts of the world, uh, and they need that scientific research of a well educated figure from the standard system you can always look at michael Pond. and that's no shade to him he's great love him but it's just shade to the system that psychedelics weren't given as much space or trust or understanding until he really came in and normalized it a little bit so that has its its benefits and its downsides it makes it more accessible to more people 
and more people trusting in it, but we don't want to erase the indigenous cultures that have utilized these beautiful medicines for long periods of time as well. Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better. And I think that this is the perfect place to end. Thank you. If you're still with us, thank you so much. This is this turned out to be a really long episode, but if you listened, you know there's a lot happening right now. Just want to end by asking you again to please, if you're feeling generous, rate us, review us on your podcast streaming platform. Uh, it really does help us with visibility. And if you would like to contact Jules or I about any of the things we've discussed on the show, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at theherbalastrologypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I also want to prime you for our next episode. Uh, In two weeks, we will have a guest on our show, and uh, it's going to be the first episode in a format we will be trying out for half of our episodes where we have a guest join us and contribute analysis to the transits and aspects we talk about and offer uh, offer their own perspective, offer hot takes from their work. So anyway, our next episode in two weeks, we will have Camille Craft of Vital Mystic joining us on the show so i'm super excited to speak with camille and hear what she has to say about the intersection of herbalism and astrology do you want to add anything jules before we end yeah thank you um yeah i'm looking forward to that as well and yeah thank you for for listening all the way through and we'd love to to hear from you and just appreciate all of our listeners and have a wonderful spring equinox, new moon, and all of these other transits that may be affecting you. Much love to you all. Yeah, much love. Happy equinox. Bye, Jules. Bye. Mm-hmm.